Hey, what's up, guys? This is Dion Brown, and you are listening to Man Versus Brand. Now, uh, you guys know that I'm in the process of writing my first book. Um, I've been fortunate enough to be cited in, in different publications, but this is going to be my first real book, right? Um, and it's an exciting process for me. So much of this, though, is also about readership, right? Who will be the audience? Who will be the folks that will read this? Not only now, but in the future to come. Because I hope that that is the intention of every author, is that their work will be consumed by not only their most immediate and, um, and prevalent audience, but, but also the audience that they didn't anticipate the audience that exists in some future space, right? That, that your book survives the instant that you create it and lives on past what you intended. And, and, and for now that means some kids, right? I need some kids to grow into adults, to be literate in a way that allows them to consume this work that I've made. I don't know. That may seem egotistical, but I think that that's the reality, right? We want the future generations to consume what we've done if the things that we've done are worth it, if they're valuable, if they're meaningful. I know that there were some authors that I grew up with uh, when I was super young. It was the R.L. Steins. As I grew into adulthood, it was the... um, It was... The Joseph Conrads, Jesus Christ, thank you. The George Orwells, all right? They're coming in now, right? Um, right, the Jane Champions, right? We, there's just so many authors that, that literally um, affected the way that I looked at life. And I don't know if I'll ever be considered in those uh, circles. I actually don't have an aspiration to, not at that level, but just maybe to be a guy who someone wants to read as a child or as an adult or in their, you know, kind of midlife. That's my goal. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk to someone who has positively affected children's literacy because that's his work. And so the selfish hope of mine is that if he does his work now, that my book will get read sometime in the future because there's a bunch of individuals who are ready and willing to engage in written content. Anyhow, I'm Dion Brown. This is Man vs. Brand. We're going to start this episode in five, four, three, two, one. One of the greatest philosophers of our time once said that when it's up, then it's stuck. Find out how to make your next big idea stick with Dion Brown and his podcast. With 20 years of experience in growing and managing businesses and brands at the highest level, Dion is having the conversations that you are looking for. Welcome and have a great time. All right, guys. So the guys who I was speaking about is Dr. Danny Brassell. Dr. Danny, why don't you introduce yourself to the audience? Well, thanks so much for all that you do, Dion. We need a lot more positivity in the world. I really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, my name is uh, Danny Brassell. I am uh, considered America's leading reading ambassador. Uh, I always tell people, you know, I think schools do an adequate job of teaching kids how to read. But the question I always ask people is, what good is it teaching a kid how to read if they never want to read? I teach kids why to read because I've never had to tell a kid, go watch TV. I've never had to tell a kid, go play a video game. And I never want to have to tell a kid, go read a book. I want them to choose to do it on their own because they love it. And hopefully one of these days I'll get one of those kids to read your book, Dion. (laughs) I mean, that's the hope. I mean, listen, I I question uh, the future of written word, right? Like, what does that look like? Because so much of what's being consumed comes from platforms like YouTube, right? And, and so there is such a experience, right, of a tactile experience of turning a page, of 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 seeing the word, of feeling the roughness or smoothness of the page, right? To, to touch the hard cover or soft cover of a book, right? And, and there are so many people that are learning right now that are, are, are skipping that experience, that, that very um, connecting experience that, that almost connects you to the author in a way, 
right? That, that sometimes just seeing a video that someone prepared doesn't quite give you the same experience. It does give you an experience of connection, but not the same experience. So what do you think about the future of written word? How do you see it evolving with technology? Well, I think technology is a great thing, Dion. I mean, uh, I always hear that people say that uh, uh, kids are in trouble of becoming illiterate. I was working with a teacher and she had a fourth grader and she's like, well, Deshaun doesn't know how to read. Well, Deshaun, I worked with him for an hour, Dion, and like in one hour, he texted at least 20 friends. He sent several emails. He surfed the internet. He's highly literate. She was using a definition from 100 years ago. I mean, people constantly ask me, uh, ebooks or regular books, Danny? And my answer is yes. I mean, I'm old school. I like, I like what you were ta- describing. I like a physical work in my hand. I mean, I'm so happy in a, in a public library, in a bookstore, actually feeling books and, and being, uh, constantly, uh, my attention being diverted by different things that I might find interesting. I absolutely love that. Uh, my wife, on the other hand, she prefers her Kindle and uh, I can give plenty of arguments on why a Kindle is wonderful. I mean, she's from Singapore, so at least once a year we go back to visit her family. And while I'm busy packing 20 heavy books in my uh, luggage, she's packing a one-pound, seven-ounce uh, Kindle that has access to the world's library in it. And, the, I mean, the great thing about the Kindle is uh, uh, she has access to everything. Um, it drives her nuts. She like We both like to read in bed, but it drives her nuts because I always have to have my lamp on uh, so I can read what I'm reading. She doesn't need that because the Kindle illuminates itself. And now that I'm getting older, I'm finding it's tougher for me to read some of the words in some of these books. Well, on the Kindle, it's never a problem because you can adjust the font size. And so I'm never going to be one of those people that says one form of technology is better than another. I mean, there was a point uh, thousands of years ago when the Greeks thought that uh, we were lazy just by putting things down in writing, that everything should be memorized. So there's always going to be the naysayers out there. But I I just think that we evolved. There's lots of different types of technology out there, Uh, just like there's lots of different ways to get kids reading i was working with some uh some kids that uh the teachers told me they they would never read anything and the first thing i did is i started giving them uh jay-z lyrics to some of his songs and the kids could read those and i'm like you see it, it wasn't that they didn't they didn't know how to read they just didn't like what they were being forced to read. And that's that's the big problem I see out there. I mean, I love it. You know, Joseph Campbell and George Orwell are two of the people that uh, you cited. I'm like, wow, those are the types of authors, those classic authors. Uh, I'll give you an example, Dion. When I was in high school, I was forced to read The Scarlet Letter by Nathaniel Hawthorne. And no offense to anybody that loves The Scarlet Letter. The book is about Hester Prynne commits adultery, and so she's forced to wear an A on her chest. And I, asked, I raised my hand and I asked my teacher if I could wear a B on my chest because I was so bored to death reading that book. And that's what I tell people is it doesn't matter what you read. What matters is how much you read. It doesn't matter if you're reading James Joyce or James and the Giant Peach. People who read more read better. Well, so you made a couple points there, right? So, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to remember your points in order and then speak to some certain points because I think that... I think that you've made some really interesting points and some really great points too, right? Um, The first is I 100% agree with you. Um, I think that I, as a person, am really agnostic uh, about the way I receive the written word. I think I'm really interested to figure out if we start to move away from it and go directly into like video as a form of learning versus actually having people read, right? And and in that way, I think, um, you know, you kind of get this idea of um, someone standing in a space speaking to you as I'm doing right now, right? And, And that's how you learn all your material. And so for me, having, you know, 100, I probably got 120 books in my phone is probably the easiest way for me to engage, right? Mm-hmm. But then I also realized that like, I like YouTubes and TikToks to learn. And there's there's an interesting, I think, cross-section of how those two things will play out, where how much of learning divests itself from being having to be written, right? Versus, as you mentioned, just sort of spoken, right? Mm-hmm. And then, but we also know historically that spoken word gets lost 
over time, right? And so it's like, how do we save the YouTubes of the world where all of the learning is being primarily shared and done and preserve it in a way that we have only gotten to with written word, which is going to be an interesting thing, I think. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of research on that. I mean, your receptors, your auditory receptors, uh, your, your visual receptors, there's 30, 30 times more visual uh, receptors than there are auditory receptors. And so it's just basic knowledge that uh, there's no way that you're going to process as much auditory through your ears through the spoken word as you would if you were actually looking at things. That's why we have PowerPoint presentations. Uh, Walt Disney had one of my favorite quotes. He said, people think in pictures. And he's absolutely right with that. I mean, one of the first exercises I'll do with people on that, I say, uh, and I'll do this with you right now, Dion. I want, I want you to think of an apple right now. Got it. Okay. What did you think of? Tell me. Uh, the apple was green, had a stem, uh, did not have a leaf on it. It was pretty shiny. Looked Perfect. delicious. Yep. Yeah, that's great, Dion. I mean, I've had people describe, you know, Granny Smith apples and people have described Red Delicious apples. I've had people that visualized an Apple computer, yep. but I've never once done that exercise and somebody visualized A-P-P-L-E. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it that's that's a that's a very interesting thing. I mean, I, I'm I, I've been recently. And this is kind of a tangent, but I've been really interested in um, in using my brain, just my just my mind, and figuring out sort of visual puzzles. Mm-hmm. Like visual puzzles have become my new thing. Like whether they're you know sort of three D or if it's find this thing in this image or figure out this word lettering and, 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 and just engaging in the mind because you find that uh, oftentimes in these visual puzzles, they claim that only 1% of the world can figure this out. Right. And so it's interesting to just be like, well, am I a part of the 1% world? We don't know if that number is even true. Right. But I think that there, that there is something in kind of engaging your brain in a way that, um, allows for you to visualize the apple, but also recognize that when someone says, imagine an apple, that there is another context for imagining an apple, and it is the written word, right? And so I think that's that's a, a really cool exercise, man. It's really cool. I like that you're challenging yourself. Uh, I mean, I, I think that's, you know, one of the best ways I, I get kids excited about reading is I challenge them. I'll, I'll take a book, and I'm like, okay, so let's say I'm reading to my, my first grade class. I'm like, today we're going to read this. Oh, wait a sec. On the back of the book, it says grade level 2.4. This book is too tough for us, but I'll put it here on the desk. And if any of you think that you might be able to read it, I'll let you take it home. I mean, how many kids want to read that book now? If you want a kid to do something, all you have to do is tell them they can't do it. I love challenges. And I, I there's just simple tricks in psychology to really build on people's curiosity. And I just love that you're, you're, you're focused on visual puzzles now at 1%. The other thing that you said that cracked me up is, and who actually knows if the 1% is true. People give numbers all the time. I, I tell people that, you know, uh, if I don't know something, I just, I just say a quote and I say, Benjamin Franklin said, it, it sounds intelligent, but I mean, you know, and, and I make up numbers all the time. I, five out of 10 people don't know how to reduce fractions. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> there's all kinds of things like that. So I love that, Dion. Keep on challenging yourself. And there is a study where that is true, right? That's whatever statement you make, there is a study that five out of 10, right? You just, you just got to let the person figure out their own study. Yeah, um, absolutely. And by the way, by the way, this idea of challenging um, and curiosity that you mentioned also works for adults. Like to get teams that I've worked with the incentive to finish a project, you really just have to be like, I don't think it's going to be done in the time that, that, that we've allotted, or there's another team that was able to do it in this amount of time, right? Like people are motivated, especially people who are are motivated by wins, right? Because there are people that are motivated by wins and people that are motivated by loss or people that are motivated by harm uh, or people that are are motivated by um, incentive, right? Um, And so people that are motivated, I think, by by gain, right? By, By the thing that allows them to be happy about the result are typically pushed and motivated by this, right? 
Absolutely. On the other side, there are people that are motivated by you're going to get fired or you're going to get left behind. And that becomes the motivator. Right. And so when, when you're when you're working with kids, you know, how do you balance between those that are motivated by advancement and those who are so fearful of being stagnant or being left behind that that becomes their incentive to 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 move forward, to read, to do the activities that it takes for them? Yeah, I, I, that's a carrot and stick philosophy, Dion. I, I believe that the stick might produce short-term results. I mean, you see it in the military. You see people that can, uh, you know, you can beat a child and get them to do something. But I think long-term, you have to use a carrot philosophy. And I think the best carrot is to make a person so that they're self, self-motivated. So that's that's what I'm always looking for. And that's the that's really my criticism of schools right now is that I see a lot of mandatory programs. Uh, I'll give you an example. I was speaking the other day and a person asked me, Danny, what do you think? Public schools, private schools, or charter schools, which one's the best? And my answer was yes. And the reason I said that Dion is it depends on the kid. Some kids prosper in a private school. Some kids prosper in a, in a vocational school. Some kids prosper in a home school. Some kids, it's a magnet school. But I, I, I think we're always trying to come up with a black and white solution. And I'm like, there's actually 38 different possibilities to this uh, uh, critical problem that we have. And we should be examining all of them. Uh, it's kind of one of the things that always annoyed me as an educator. I always would ask questions uh, to like state boards of education. And I'd always say, if the answer to the question is not because that's what's best for this child, why are we doing this? I mean, just because you have some random data or whatever. And then the other thing is most of the people don't usually use data. I, I have a friend, Davey Tyberski has a great saying. He says, don't get mad, get data. You know, uh, uh, I'm appalled by school shootings. And I, I, I think that it's a great, to me, I don't think it's a liberal question to expect a second grader to be able to go to school without fearing being shot. And so you talk about motivation. I decided, well, I'm going to look into research on this. What is the research? I was curious and it was fascinating. I read a, uh, a RAND study. It was a, a second edition of a RAND study, 400 pages long, very boring. Most people would never even go near it. But there was two things that were fascinating in the study. The first thing was when there's a school shooting in states where there's a Democratic controlled legislature, they found they do nothing. And in states where there was a Republican-controlled legislature, they actually loosened the gun laws. I thought that was fascinating. The second thing that was interesting was the number one factor in a school shooting is usually you have an unstable person mentally. The number number two factor is if there's a security card on campus. If there's a security guard on campus, it increases the likelihood of a school shooting by like 3,000%. So I'm asking the question, well, then why do we have security guards on campus when we could take that security guard salary and either give the teachers a raise or hire counselors or have a PE program, music, art, the kinds of things that would actually prevent a kid from wanting to shoot up the school. But the whole point there is that's what reading should be. I'm I'm always I'm curious about things. And I actually want to look at, well, what are different points of view? I used to teach history, and that's the first thing I used to always teach my students is history books are usually written by the winners. Every event in history has multiple points of view. And my job isn't to teach you a certain point of view. It's to teach you to consider different points of view. And that's that's where I think the, the value of education is and the value of like a podcast like yours. It's It's challenging people to think for themselves rather than have somebody else think for them. Well, thank you for that. Now, I'm going to backtrack to your point okay. because you made some good points. Uh, the first, I think, is I 100% agree with you uh, with the idea that there is no one true motivator for kids aside from empowering them to motivate themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Because ultimately, um, they will grow into adults. And that will be the measure of their success in life is, is how well they're able to self-actualize and, and advocate for themselves when they don't have the answer, right? And so if we, if we raise non-curious, non-observant children, because all they're 
told to do is to do the thing, not necessarily understand why or how, then you raise someone who doesn't discover, right? And and so much about uh, being a good participant in the world is about discovery, whether it's self-discovery, whether it's discovering your place in how you want to live your life, how you want to experience the world. And so, um, you know, you want to raise well-traveled, just, just, just interesting, interested adults as children, then you start by, by giving them the, the permission as children to explore, explore, uh, in reading, explore in interaction, explore their environments, right? And, and that's going to produce, um, I think, your best chance of having the kid that your child wants to be, not necessarily the kid that you want them to be, yeah. right? And there's a, there's a huge difference in, in parenting, right? You can raise the child that you want, or you can raise the child that they want to be. And I'm telling you, they're going to be much happier because in being the person that they want to be, if they decide that they want to be the person that you want them to be, they'll self-discover that. And they'll thank you for giving them the space to find themselves. Absolutely. Yeah. Wait, to your second point, to your second point, right? Because I think you made a couple. I think that there is something interesting in this, this, this idea that you brought up, which is there are multiple types of schools, right? Because we, we tend to only hear about three or four, right? It's public school, private school. I went to boarding school, so I'm going to throw boarding school mm-hmm. into it, magnet schools, and that's it, right? And everything else seems to sort of dissipate into the ether of just, you know, if it's not those, then then we don't know about him. Um, and I think that there are some things that you hear about that feel sort of counterintuitive. Like I know that I have, of course, adult friends now with children who all they do is obsess about where they're going to live in the hopes that their proximity to a school gives their child a better chance of getting into college. And the kids basically in like elementary school. And so, you know, you have whole families moving in order to be in a school district, paying higher taxes, um, or just hoping that they win some sort of intellectual lottery with their kid or some you know, sort of, I'm doing the right school. Um, I'm on the right school teams. I'm on the right debate squad. I'm on, I've done the the right combo, right? That, that I, I pick up some interest by a school um, so that there's some sense of, of equity in, in my opportunity to get into a good higher education institution. And, and thirdly, did about three or four quotes and about two polls in there. You also said earlier that you quote and poll at your own discretion. So we're going to say that we believe him in these moments. We're going to say that the things he was quoting, um, except for the, the history is won by winners. I don't even know who said it. I'm going to give that to anonymous, but um, it's been quoted so frequently that I'm not even sure if anyone knows, but we can give it to Benjamin Franklin. Um, I uh, I appreciate your points, man, because I, I think that there is um, some honesty in, in what you're discussing. And, and it also seems oddly objective for someone who's so passionate about it, right? And I, I think that, that you have to be objective in a way, because I think when you become subjective, it, it lends itself to skewing data to prove your point, right? Because it just becomes about the point and not about the data that supports the point and how we, how can we use that data to empower positive change, right? Cause we can look at it and be like, Hey, the security guard and everyone's like, boo, we need security guards. Right. But as you said it, my, my first thought goes, well, if I'm someone, and, and I don't know if this is supported by data. Let me say this uh, first. Mm-hmm. This is just an, an assumption that my brain made that I'm going to discuss for the purpose of discussing it. In my brain, when you said it, you know, it raises 3,000 or whatever that number was. I was like, wow. So, yeah, if, if I was a kid and I thought to do harm, I would want equal or excessive uh, 
weaponization on my body than what I see. So if I see a security guard with a gun, it makes me think that I also need a gun, right? And so now there's this kind of heightening of of weaponry, right? And that's where my mind went. I also then thought when you said, hey, why don't we take that money and utilize it for programming? Um, That's an argument that a lot of folks who critique the prison system say, right? Is, is let's, 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 let's deconstruct prison systems as they exist today and utilize a lot of the money that's going to prison systems um, in order to create programming to rehabilitate. I think both probably recognize that there are instances. I imagine that, you know, there are structures in which prisons are needed for certain crimes and where security is needed for certain for certain institutions because it just lends itself to that and there's really nothing else that could be done outside of arm those institutions uh in the way that they're armed whether it's in how they deal with individuals like a prison system or 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 protecting the safety of of children or others by having that presence there whether it's a uh security guard or um i don't know some sort of uh metal detector or whatever, but I think that there is something really powerful in saying, or at least exploring a second option, right? And and and, and I, I don't hear you saying like, hey, you know, deconstruct or whatever, right? Like you're just kind of talking about what the data says and then saying, well, if that's what the data says, then maybe we should make some other considerations, man. And I think that that's super powerful. Thanks, Dion. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about how you got to being passionate about literacy. So, so where did your journey start and, and where do you see the future of your journey? That's, wow, powerful question. Well, Dion, I, I began my career as a journalist and I had the greatest job in the world. I loved being a journalist and uh, I had an uh, offer from a major daily to be their city beat reporter for $16,500 a year. And then a friend of mine said, hey, they have uh, teaching jobs in South Central LA for $25,200 a year. And so I became a teacher for the noblest of reasons, Dion, for the high pay. And it turned out to be one of the greatest decisions of my life. I loved it. I taught in uh, South Central LA for many years. Oops, did you have a point? No, no, no. Question. Like, has the median salary in South Central LA for teachers gone up? Since you've been there? It has. It has. And, and and that's an important thing, I think, right? Like, like that, that the time that you got in, it was a good amount for that time. But yeah. as time progresses, hopefully the salaries also increase. Hopefully. Well, I mean, it, there, that's a great, that's a whole other argument we can go into. I mean, if people pay attention, that's never going to happen. We, our salaries are not keeping pace with the t- with the cost of healthcare, with the cost of higher education. I mean, the, it, it's ridiculous to me that uh, you know during a pandemic, uh, most universities were able to increase their intuition, their uh, not intuition, their tuition by over twenty percent during a pandemic. It's ridiculous, and and there's just no payoff anymore. Uh, I hear I, I sound very. Uh, uh, weird saying this, but I can't really justify to a high school uh, senior that they should pursue a college degree. I mean, there's no way I'm going to tell you to go in debt $300,000 and not be guaranteed a job after that. And that's where we're at in society right now. Uh, I think it's ridiculous. Uh, I think that we need to uh, address the cost of higher education. We have to address salaries for people. Uh, we have to address the cost of living. I mean, right now people are paying five bucks a gallon for gasoline. I mean, uh, but we won't con- seriously consider uh, electric cars and solar. I mean, I don't, th- these are huge things. Anyway, this is, I'm getting off court. Off. No, no, but let me say this. I asked that question because... Um... I, I wonder now uh, with things like inflation, whether being in a teacher is um, sustainable at this point. Like when you decided to become a teacher, it was because it paid more than being a reporter. But now with gas prices, rents, regardless of where you are, uh, if you're in New York, if you're in LA, if you're in 
you know, Houston, Dallas, Toledo, wherever you are in America, right, things cost a lot. And so I'm always interested in really understanding how we as a nation value the folks who contribute. And quite frankly, teachers are some of the largest, most influential contributors to our society, right? Without them, we would not, in fact, have the next generation of thinkers, politicians, uh, what have you, right? Doctors, right? We, we need teachers at every level um, to inform, to inspire, to teach, uh, to cultivate, right? And so the fact that we may live in or we are living in a culture that doesn't sustain those salaries today that possibly were an option for you when you were deciding your career is is startling to me. And I think it merits maybe some level of conversation around that. I mean, not for the just for the podcast, but just as a general conversation for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was recently in yeah, I was recently in San Francisco, Dion. I mean, and San Francisco redrew the poverty line in San Francisco. So I think the poverty line nationwide is somewhere around $28,000 per year. Well, in San Francisco, it's $115,000 per year. So think about that number. Even if San Francisco is going to need police, nurses, and teachers, even if you give them all a raise up to 115,000, which I can tell you they're not making that much. Even if you got them up to that point, they're just hitting the poverty line. (laughs) I mean, I was reading an article about a teacher and she teaches in San Francisco and she's renting out a closet, literally a closet from a friend in San Jose for like $2,500 a month. I'm like, it's not sustainable. You're, I mean, so that's, that's where, yeah, I mean, these are questions that, People need to start asking and, uh, you know, and then all the other nonsense that teachers are having to deal with. I I really support teachers, I think. And I I mean, there's bad teachers, just like there's bad police. And I believe that you get rid of bad cops, you get rid of bad teachers, just get rid of the bad ones. But the good ones, you support them. You make sure that they have adequate housing and adequate uh, uh, salaries that is a, a life, a living wage. I mean, when I was a teacher, Um, I absolutely loved it, but, uh, really the big thing, the big transformation for me, Dion was, uh, I, I realized that I grew up with a lot of things that my students didn't have. I mean, we were lower middle class, but we always had food on the table when I was growing up. Both of my parents were in the home. My parents used to read to us kids. They read in front of us, uh, we had plenty of access to books And I realized a lot of my students didn't have those opportunities. And I said, shame on me. And so it became really my passion to make sure that all my kids had opportunities and resources so that, you know, they could pursue the whatever dreams they were. I mean, I had a kid once, one of my kindergartners, and I asked him what he wanted to do after he turned 18. And the way he started his sentence killed me. He said, if I turn 18. And I, I couldn't even hear anything he said after that. I'm like, if you turn 18, he had such a low expectation of himself. And really, that's my passion for education. I mean, I go around the world now, and I'm pumping up the students, I'm pumping up the teachers, I'm pumping up the administrators, and I'm pumping up the uh, the parents as well, because everybody's just in a really bad place right now. And I, I, I'm not teaching anybody anything they don't know. I, I, I try to remind people of the stuff that we forgot. And, uh, you know, civil discourse, uh, you know, education is is something that I think we should cherish and value. Uh, I think it's great to have different points of view. I think it's all right. We can we need to learn how to be able to disagree without being disagreeable to one another. And, um, you know, I'm passionate about this. And so I go around uh, getting everybody pumped up about that. And I think that's where reading comes in handy, because I've read about plenty of readers that never became leaders, but I have never read a biography of an effective leader that was also not an avid reader. I mean, just like listening to you at the beginning, Dion, I guarantee you there are no great writers that are not avid readers. You're a reader. You already mentioned all the different influences to you. I mean, uh, just like, and it's just like anything. I mean, Michael Jordan didn't just become a basketball player on his own. He had people he idolized and he, he became a student of the game and he worked at it. It's the same thing with reading. 
And all I'm telling people is we need to make reading something that kids choose on their own. I mean, a little boy who only reads Captain Underpants is going to be a better reader than the little boy who refuses to read anything. I mean, Captain Underpants is the gateway drug to Shakespeare, but we got to get the kid pumped up about it first. Captain Underpants wins again. Hey, listen, I mean, I'm always down for a superhero story where we can get them in regardless of whether you are 7 or you are 70. Uh, So listen, I actually have a a pretty fun question. Uh, How are we doing in the States in comparison to other places, other countries? Do you have that data? Like, Do you know how we're doing uh, as a nation as it compares to the rest of the world? Well, so yeah, yeah, Dion, I mean, that... People like to scare people. They think, oh, Americans are doing badly at reading. You know, where our test scores are horrible. And I'm like, well, there's something that America does that Japan, China, and India don't do. All of our kids go to school. Even the disabled, the second language learners, I mean, they all go. They don't let those kids get tested in a lot of these countries. So that data is skewed. But I'll tell you, I'm a, I'm a visiting distinguished professor at the American University in, in Cairo, in Egypt, And whenever I go there, I like to go visit all the different schools. And so right before the pandemic, I was there and I was speaking at this Islamic school. I was doing a parent training at two o'clock in the afternoon and 400 parents showed up at two o'clock in the afternoon. And it was like a meeting of the Muslim Brotherhood. All the guys had the long beards and all the women were wearing burqas. And we were chatting like you and I are chatting right now. And I thought, shame on me. I had all these preconceptions and just loved it. And I began my presentation. I said, so I was reading this book. Have any of you ever read the Quran? And they all laughed. And I'm like, oh, well, then you know the story of when the angel Gabriel appears to Muhammad in the cave. What's his first instruction of Muhammad? Because the first pillar of Islam is to read. And so I told the parents, I'm like, oh, So not only should we get your kids reading, it's actually written in your most sacred text that it's your duty to get your kids reading. And Dion, I had 400 heads nodding in agreement. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like my dream audience. And so I've like, specifically, I I seek out Islamic schools now. I absolutely love been doing trainings in Pakistan and all these places. It's great. Um, What I know this to be true is it doesn't matter where you are in the world, parents, love their kids, and they do whatever it takes to help their kids get better. Wherever I've been, teachers do their best with the tools that they're given. Um, And wherever I go, governments seem to screw up the entire educational policy. (laughs) All right, so there's some equity in the world, right? (laughs) Absolute equity. There's great things, though. There are great things, though, Dion. I'll tell you this, and I, and then I'll let you make your point. In Japan, when I was in Japan, by law, thirty-one school days a year are mandatory field trip days, and I thought, wow, that's. I mean, we're lucky to get one every three years in my school district. I was like, wow, that that's an investment in education because I think the I think that the the best form of education is going around and meeting people from different. You know, if I was president, I'd give everybody money to travel abroad because there's two things that happen when you travel abroad. First of all, you get a bit a a better perspective from the international point of view. And then second of all, you stop griping about the things that we take for granted every single day in this country, like clean water and indoor plumbing. And uh, uh, my favorite was uh, when I used to teach English as a second language to engineering students at the university of Southern California, I'd always ask my students, I'm like, well, what impresses you the most about America? And they always said the same thing, Dion, and it always freaked me out. They're like, oh, the fact that you can make fun of your politicians and not go to prison. Oh my gosh, I never even thought about that. We just take that for granted in this country. So that's what, uh, yeah, the world, as different as it may be, there's so many things that are the same. So I'm going to be transparent. Um, I'm not one to typically misquote, uh, not at least data, because I think that it's important that data be real and authentic. But there have been instances in one specific data set that I might have 
uh, embellished on it for the purpose of driving home a point. And so right now I want to apologize to anyone, any parent at least, that I've said this data point to and it's been wrong. I will typically say like studies show that um, that getting your child a passport before the age of five <laughs> supports them. <laughs> And having a higher um, rate of like finishing school. <laughs> I don't know why I'm, I'm laughing because I've definitely told that to Paris because I believe in what you're talking about, right? I believe in, in, in having your child at least have the opportunity to experience uh, going abroad and meeting other cultures. And I do believe it, it opens their minds and, and it, 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 there, there is also a very clear understanding that I have to experience, didn't get this through um, a data set or a poll, but where, you know, where, where kids are, are intrigued and observant of different customs of different ways of living. And they start to understand that the world is much bigger and different. And there becomes then this appreciation as they start to get older. And I've seen this in kids that were my mentees or just in family members where um, they, they seem less likely to poke fun at differences because they were, they were already experiencing differences early on. Right. And so I definitely fudge that whole that I, I don't even know if that's an actual metric or a data set somewhere, but I definitely say that. And I apologize immensely to the folks that I've said it to, because I've definitely said it to at least a hundred or so people that I know. Uh, but um, to to the point that you're making, Danny, it, it it I believe that there is something wonderful in just creating the opportunity for a child to experience a life that is outside of their own, right? And and I think that um, one of the greatest things uh, that happens, specifically in reading, is that you experience these worlds without actually seeing them. Yeah. I'm going to tell a quick story, and then I'm going to get I want to I want to come to a point that. Um, that you brought up earlier that I, I really enjoyed, and I think the audience will too. Um, so I was in a Toastmaster. Guys, I was Toastmaster. I was doing my Toastmaster thing, um, you know, getting ready to compete in the Toastmaster <laughs> whatever-a-thon, right? And so I was, I was ready to do it, and um, they asked me to, to do this, this talk, and I did this talk about how um, for a very long time, I didn't really leave much of the East Coast. I think I, I knew New York, maybe Philadelphia, possibly New Jersey and North Carolina. And that was, oh, and, and I knew Disney, right? Because we went there one time. And that was my really, that was my understanding of the world. That was as big as the world was. Um, until I got this thing that's called the viewfinder, guys. And what it was is you would put it to your face. It was typically red or maybe blue. It had like this little goggle piece. And yep, and you would snap it and there would be these discs. And the discs would would show you these images, right? And and you would you would get a bunch of discs and see a bunch of images. And and I was the type of kid that I would then go and find a book that had the same thing to learn about it. And so much of what I learned about the rest of the world was through a viewfinder. And, and I remember this moment where I, I, I remember being a kid and seeing Greece and thinking, it's so blue and white. That was my thought. Like as a kid, I was like, everything seems blue. Everything seems white. I don't know why the buildings seemed white. The rooftops were blue. There was blue. There was white. There was blue. There was white. And, and I remember going to Mykonos for the first time and crying, just crying for the kid that saw the blue and white and then finally got to see it in person. And so, um, you know, it's so, I think, and, and it, it may be a viewfinder, it may be a book, it may be your public library, it may be on an ebook, right? There's just something transformative um, and, and so much seed planting that happens in children that get the opportunity to read and experience um, and so, you know, to my parents that are out there, I doubt anyone under the age of 12 is listening to this, but you may listen to this in the future, right? Uh, make sure that you're, you're empowering every child in your life, in your village to read, right? Um, doesn't have to be your kid. You can, you know, kids got friends over, you know, throw them a book, 
Um, it's something I do, it's something that, you know, folks in my network do. And I'm not saying that we do it because it makes it better. We just do it because it, it, someone did it for us, right? And, and that's a part of life, right? You do the things that people did to you for others in the hopes that it'll click for them whenever it clicks for them. All right, so that was my little touchy story about the viewfinder in Greece and Toastmasters. And the people I spoke to for the Toastmasters actually bought me a viewfinder uh, because they thought that was a really cool story. Um, so, Danny, I, w- I want to I want you to touch on something um, that you that you brought up um, earlier, which was about th- th- this idea that that you're now working in places like Pakistan um, and, and working on literacy programming there, right? Whether it's talking to parents, talking to others, right? Like what when when you're talking to folks about reading um do you find that parents are talking about things like well my child has ADHD my child has attention that like what are some of the reasoning why parents are saying that their kids are not reading because I talk to parents and they have a litany of reasons why their kids aren't reading right so how do you, what what are they saying to you and, and what's some of the what what are some of your ways of objection handling those items to really empower parents to advocate for their children reading in spite of what their children may be experiencing? Yeah, Dion, that's great. Uh, I mean, I, I don't really focus on reasons of whatever reasons, excuses, uh, you know, I've always led teams and I'm like, the next time you want to give me an excuse, just tell me Peru has a new dictator. <laughs> like, what's that got to do with anything? I'm like, well, one excuse is as good as another. Doesn't yep. Yep. waste my time. Uh, I created uh, what's now the world's top reading engagement program called the reading And basically uh, in 67 days, just over two months, I show parents how to get their kid to read more, read better and to love reading. Um, and I partnered with a wonderful guy out of Ireland by the name of Dermot Hudner. He has a wonderful program called Cyber Smarties. And both of us were very interested in how do you create positive habit formation in children? And so Cyber Smarties is basically a social media platform just for kids ages six to 12. And in order for a kid to be online, both the police department and the school has to verify it's a kid. So no adults are allowed on. And so basically the way it works is let's say you write me a message. You're like, Danny, I think you're ugly. Well, it won't let you send the message. Instead, you get a pop-up video from me saying, that's not a nice thing to say. There's better ways to talk to people. And it gives them different alternatives. And we find within two weeks, kids stop sending negative messages to one another. It's basically eliminated cyberbullying in Ireland. And now the programs in India, Ghana, UAE, we open in, uh, in Turkey for 9 million kids coming up in uh, September. And, um, you know, I love it because it's the same thing with reading it. We, we have the reading program in there where I show the parents in 67 days, just over two months, the, the two numbers I focus on, I tell parents are 67 and 20. A lot of people will tell you it takes 21 days to change a habit. To those people, I say, show me the research on that. I actually know exactly where the number comes from. It comes from a wonderful book written in 1960 by Dr. Maxwell Maltz called Psycho-Cybernetics. It's a wonderful book. Well, in the preface of the book, Dr. Maltz was a plastic surgeon, and he mentioned in the preface that he noticed it took most of his patients about 21 days to get used to their new face. Well, a lot of personal development, self-help gurus, a lot of people I admire, by the way, took that number and started telling people it takes 21 days to change a habit. It's complete nonsense. Well, in 2009, researchers at the University of London did a long-term habit formation study, and they found it took anywhere from 18 to 254 days to change a habit, and the average was 66 days. Now, I don't like the number 66, so I threw in a bonus day, 67 days. <laughs> and it actually depends on the type of habit you're trying to change, Dion. So, for example, let's say you want to start drinking a glass of water before you eat breakfast. Well, that might take 18 days to make that a habit. But if you want to quit smoking, that's going to take you 254 days. And here's why this is important. Let's say, Dion, you go on a diet and you follow it religiously for 21 days. But then on day 22, you fall off the wagon. Well, you blame yourself, which is nonsense because the research clearly shows it takes at least three times that on average 
to change a habit. So that's the first number I tell people to concentrate on is 67. The second number, 20. Well, researchers were looking at patterns among successful students all around the world, and they stumbled upon a common characteristic that totally blew them away. It was the number of minutes spent reading outside of school. So they looked at the lower students, the average students, and the higher students. So the lower students, the kids in the bottom 20th percentile of their class, they averaged less than a minute a day of reading outside of school. That didn't surprise anybody. That's probably why the kids are at the bottom of the class. But this did surprise the researchers. The kids in the middle, the 70th percentile, the C students, your average students, they average 9.6 minutes a day reading outside of school. So when I'm doing a parent training, Dion, this is when the room gets real quiet and the first hand raises and a parent says, wait a sec, are you telling me if I can get my kid to read 10 minutes a day at home, I can take him from an F to a C? That's exactly what I'm telling you. There's a lot of research to support this, but this was the thing that totally blew away researchers. The kids near the top of the class, the 90th percentile, your A minus students, do they spend three hours a day reading outside of school? No. Do they spend one hour a day reading outside of school? No. The average was just over 20 minutes a day. 20 minutes a day. That's my program. Training parents how to find those 20 minutes. Here's two things that are great. First of all, Reading aloud to a person is just as good as reading on your own. So I tell people, if you're taking your kid to and from school, it takes you 10 minutes each way, put in an audio book. You just took care of your 20 minutes on the ride to and from school. Secondly, the minutes can be spread out throughout the day. So maybe you have three minutes here, five minutes here, eight minutes there. And so basically that's my entire program is just giving parents some real quick tips on what they can do to get their kids excited about reading because the more excited you are to read, the more likely you are to read and the more you read, the better you get. So just to kind of bring this idea home for, for my, my entrepreneurs, my, my leaders, my business owners who can't find 20 minutes in their own day to read, right. But that's that's what we're getting to, right? (laughs) That, 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 that you and your child can find 20 minutes, right? Because here's another thing, right? To your earlier point is that if you want to be a successful leader, you want to be a successful entrepreneur, you want to be a successful business owner, you want to make some level of impact in life, you have to become a reader yourself, right? And if you, you don't have that pattern for yourself, how do you plan to then deliver that to your child? Are you going to exist in this do as I say space? Was, is that going to be effective for your team? Is that how you got into the role that you're currently in by just telling people to do things and not having some level of role model to for them to behave? Is that yeah. what this looks like, right? Like, is that, is that it? But, but if you found 20 minutes for yourself, and then found 20 minutes for your child, how could that positively affect both of your lives? Yeah, I mean, you know, people will tell me, oh, I don't have time to read. I'm like, yeah, who has time to read after you watch the game on TV, have a couple of beers, go shopping? I mean, I have a friend who says he's a time management expert, and I always give him a hard time. I'm like, there's no such thing as time management. There's only priority management. I did a, I did a study. Harvard did this study. A hundred years ago, They only had 24 hours in their day as well. You know, it's how you use your time. I mean, I I challenge anybody that tells me they have no time. Okay, I want you to document and be honest how you spend every minute of your day. Let's see if we can find those 20 minutes throughout that day. And by the way, the 20 minutes, it doesn't have to be separate from your child. You can do the 20 minutes together. The, The bonus at the end of my program is I always say on my very last video, I'm like, Okay, it's been 67 days. I know your kid's reading more. They're reading better. Most importantly, they love reading. But, and I didn't tell you this at the beginning, but here's the real treat. I just got you to spend 20 minutes a day with your child. Yep. How many of us would have died to have gotten 20 minutes of attention from our parent every single day? I mean, I just gave you the gift of a relationship with your child, which we're losing that in this country. So, I, I mean, it's a great opportunity reading together. I mean, I have three children and my wife and all of us are reading different books together. So my, 
my oldest daughter, uh, we're reading this uh, fantasy series together. My uh, my son, Sean, he likes the Civil War, so we're reading The Killer Angels by Michael Shara together. My youngest daughter, for some reason, is into classical literature, so even though I hate The Great Gatsby, she loves The Great Gatsby, so we're reading The Great Gatsby together. And then my wife, uh, she really likes this uh this series of books by Diana Gabaldon called Outlander. So we've been reading all these Outlander books together and it's time spent just between me and these people that I love. I mean, um, that's, that's what great parents do. It's the same thing. I had great teachers that would do a great teacher says, you know what, Danny, check out. I, I mean, I, I had a great teacher in seventh grade who he found out what I like to read, which was about football. And once a week he'd say, Hey, Danny, check out this book on John Elway. I hope you like it. What are the odds I open up that book? In yeah. my in my experience, a hundred percent. Doesn't matter what age level. You know, I might not read the book, but I'm going to open it up. And I find that after the fourth time a person gives me a book, I'm going to read that book because there's nothing more powerful than somebody significant in your life—a teacher, a, a parent, a coach, a pastor, a, a buddy, an older sibling—saying, "You know what? I was thinking of you when I was reading this." I mean, that's the power of reading, and especially entrepreneurs. I don't know how you exist. If you're not reading, look at the wealthiest people in the world. You got people like Elon Musk, who's running $4 billion companies right now, and he still reads a book a day. Yeah. Uh, Warren Buffett spends all of his hours reading every single day. I mean, uh, I could have kissed LeBron James when the Miami Heat were in their first championship series uh, with LeBron. They showed him in the locker room before the game reading The Hunger Games by Suzanne Collins. And I'm like, dude, you just did more for literacy than I'll ever do. <laughs> it's great. I mean, and you see it in everything. I, I don't care, you know, uh, when you look at generals, uh, the, the best military, Patton was reading books every single day. Uh, look at actors, uh, you know, they're reading scripts constantly. Uh, show me somebody successful in their industry and I will show you a reader. <laughs> and, and on that note, we're going to close this episode out. Show me someone successful and I'm going to show you a reader. All right. So um, we're going to, I'm going to ask you two questions and then I'm going to give you the opportunity to give uh, the audience a way to engage in your content. Great. I'm going to change it because so typically I go on any streaming platform. What are, what is something that you really liked and, you know, that you've recently watched and, and, and what's something that you, uh, that people wouldn't think that you would like that you actually do, but I'm going to change this for the purpose of our conversation. One of the very few times that I'm going to switch this up. So what's something that you recently read that you really liked? Yeah, I'm reading, I read several books a day, but the, the book I was reading before you and I started this interview, I'm reading uh, Showtime based on the Lakers because I'm a huge Lakers fan. Uh, and I watched the series on HBO Max. So I had to, I had to read the book uh, Showtime about the Showtime. Lakers. Before that, I earlier today, I was reading a, a biography, which was terrible. I hated it. It was uh, uh, Path to Power by Robert Caro. It's part of a trilogy about President Johnson. And the reason I hated the, it has nothing to do with the author. It's the human being. I was like, wow, Lyndon Johnson cheated on his wife and he was just a jerk. I mean, he got a lot of legislation passed, but integrity means something to me. So it was, it was a real disappointing to look at somebody uh, and, and see that they were. Uh, Wait, so a president got legislation <laughs> done, but also cheated on their wife. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I mean, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah. Who, what president? Yeah. Show me the other side of that. Show me the other side. Yeah. No. I mean, I have a higher standard, I guess, for people, and it's a bummer. No, 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 no. You're absolutely right. Absolutely right. Oh, who's the? Who, do you know? Do you remember the author? Robert Caro. He's Robert good. Caro. No, of Showtime. Showtime. Oh gosh, no, I don't remember it. And right, we'll, put another we'll book by the same guy. We'll Epstein. do a quick search. Hold on. Epstein. Can't remember for the life of me. Jeff Perlman. Yes, Jeff Perlman. Jeff Perlman. Thank you. That's I it. Do. That's it. I do. Yeah, because right, cool. he, he has another one. I think I read on uh, sweetness about Walter Payton. I read a couple of weeks ago. Was Jeff Perlman also? Yeah, it's great. Right, cool. Good I love it. All right. So, so what's? Give me one book. Um, that you that you thoroughly enjoy. That is something that one of your family members wanted you to read with them so they said read it and then you found yourself 
like thoroughly and authentically enjoying the book? Gosh, I don't, that, that's a good question. I don't, I don't know if, uh, huh. Let me think of my, my own children, if they had recommended something to, oh, well, okay. Um, I hadn't read the, okay. Well, no, that's the opposite way. I got my wife to read the Harry Potter books. Not, I make a reader with that. Um, yeah, well, because my daughter was interested in the Hunger Games, I read the Hunger Games because I wanted to read, uh, oh, no, okay. I Actually, I will give you one, Twilight. I would have never read Twilight, and I read Twilight, and I understand why it's a hit. I don't think it's a very well-written book, but I understand why uh, – the series yeah. it's actually it's actually a really cool story about how stephanie meyer got that book made i mean that's as an author you would love that i mean stephanie meyer was like this uh suburban housewife a mormon suburban housewife in phoenix arizona she has this dream about vampires she writes the book she sends it to like the the number one agent in new york by chance one of this agent's readers reads this and tells the agent you gotta read this book <laughs> And she gets like this huge book deal. It's unbelievable. <laughs> that does not happen. It's amazing. But I, I have so many kudos for stuff. I, I don't like the writing, but the story's good. But I, I don't really like the writing. But uh, kudos to her for, for all that she did and accomplished. Well, equally interesting story. And, and I, I feel like this is the story. So I, I don't want to misquote it. But the, the 50 Shades... Yeah. came from fan fiction that was derived from twilight so there's this whole sort of engine of like just weird <laughs> authorship turning into something that is substantial because apparently that's the way that that the shades book started it started as fan fiction and then it got so interesting then the names had to change and yeah. then it evolved into this book series that is so disconnected from its uh original sort of content purpose uh but it it stands on its own whether you like it or you don't right there's some questions about whether it's well written right but um the fact that this thing was created from a thing that wasn't really supposed to be created is an interesting sort of line of thought right well and as an author you always have to remember this it's called the new york times bestseller list it's not the best written list Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, cool. So, so why don't you give us a way to engage your content, right? So, yes. so I want to teach better habits or maybe I'm thinking like, hey, this, um, you know, having my kid not be able to write, um, you know, you are ugly sounds like something I want to get my school and police system involved, whatever. I want to just, I want to, I want to engage in what you're doing. How, how does a parent do that? How does someone well, do that? As a thank you to everybody bearing with me and listening to me today, uh, I want to give everybody a free gift. So if you go to freegiftfromdanny.com, freegiftfromdanny.com. I'm going to give everybody a complimentary e-copy of my book, Read, Lead, and Succeed, which is a book I wrote for a principal who was trying to keep his faculty positively engaged. So I said, okay, I'll write you a book. So every week I give you a concept, an inspirational quote, an inspirational story, a book recommendation on a book you should read, but you're probably too lazy because you're an adult. So I also give you a children's picture book recommendation that demonstrates the exact same concept. You can read that book in five minutes. And then I'm also going to give you access to last summer. I did a five-day reading challenge online for about 700 parents around the world where you'll get once a day uh, access to me for an hour. For an hour, I'll give you all kinds of tips to get your kid excited about reading. So if you just go to freegiftfromdanny.com, you'll get all of those goodies and uh, you'll be able to contact me through any of that. Not only is that an awesome offer, that is solid branding, right? <laughs> like just, <laughs> that is solid branding. Like who's going to forget that, right? Like I feel like I'm going to be 80 and I'm going to be like free gift. <laughs> That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Well, listen, listen, we've had a, a really great talk uh, with Danny and, um, and, and heard some of his, his ideas around uh, literacy, um, around um, understanding resources and, and how to level some of the playing field of kids and their access to resources that, puts them in a place to become more literate, right? Uh, how we may misunderstand um, kids' ability to determine the type of content they want to engage in, 
right? Like your, your kid may actually be a great reader. Just doesn't want to read the stuff that you're putting in front of them, right? And so, uh, you know, dismantling some of those assumptions around uh, our, our kids' ability to do, right? And so um, I appreciate the conversation. I'm interested in a part two, maybe in the winter, Danny, to come back. I think that there's so much more. There are so many points in which he was like, we could lead, we could go there. We could lead into that space. And so I'm interested in seeing where some of those spaces lead. Anyway, this is Dion Brown. Uh, I want to thank Danny for being our guest. You are listening to Man vs. Brand. I appreciate you all. Get out there, read a book, especially if you want to be successful. Grab your kid, do 20 minutes. That's all it really takes. Thank you so much, Danny. Thank you guys for listening. I appreciate you all. Have a great week. If this talk just resonated with you or could help someone you know, follow Dion or his guest on all social media platforms. Till next time. And remember, with any business or brand, give it to your heart, make it real, or else forget about it. See you all soon.